So, hello everyone. Um, today's uh, seminar speaker is um, Dr. Jakub Venus. Jakub is working uh, with us on the, under the National Biophotonics and Imaging Flat Platform project. Specifically, we're doing some work together for the last two years, trying to implement um, a live cell imaging system, automated system, working in real time and is event-driven. So. It's my pleasure, and I'll let him start his talk. Thank you very much, Dimitris, for the introduction. Uh, so as Dimitris already said, this is uh, um, part of the National Biophotonics and Imaging Platform Ireland. Uh, it's a fairly large uh, uh, research platform. It's mostly composed of Irish universities, but there's also some international involvement. And uh, this work specifically uh, is mostly collaboration between two institutions. One is uh, the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland is based in the uh, heart of Dublin, St. Stephen's Green, and the other is the Hamilton Institute. And I should also mention that previously there was another person working on this uh, in the Hamilton Institute. It was uh, Perrine Paul, and she worked under uh, supervision of Dimitris. And I was based in RCSI, uh, but uh, at the end of li last year, unfortunately, Perrine uh, left uh, the Hamilton, Hamilton Institute and she uh, took a position uh, in uh, Curie Institute in Paris. So uh, in the middle of this year, I replaced Perrine here. So uh, as one of the professors from the Hamilton Institute put it, I'm just a less attractive uh, replacement for Perrine. And I totally agree with that statement. So, okay, uh, so what's this uh, event-driven automation? It's a microscopy based on online image analysis. And we use uh, confocal microscopy, which is also known as laser scanning microscopy. And uh, what happens there is uh, each image that's acquired by the microscope is analyzed immediately after it's acquired. So we have this online image analysis. Then on the basis of that analysis, we have automated detection of biological events. And we can detect things like change in fluorescence intensity, uh, change in cell morphology, so for example, cell swelling, cell shrinkage, any, any really event that can be defined and can be detected from, from the image through image processing and analysis. And after that, we have a reaction, automated reaction to that event. And that rea reaction could be changed in acquisition parameters. So for example, we can change the scanning frequency, we can scan faster or slower. We can change the image resolution, number of channels active, etc. We can even switch on and off external devices, if you like. So th that's, that's important. The, the, to re reiterate, we have uh, first analysis, online analysis of each image, then we have automated detection of biological events, and after that we have automated reaction. That's the event-driven automation. Uh, now, what, what motivates us to do this work? Actually, why are we doing this? Uh, first thing is uh, we need more automation in uh, uh, live cell imaging. And the reason for that is that those experiments, they take quite long. They take usually between 8 and 24 hours, and no one really wants to sit there and stare at the computer screen all the time. So we really need more automation in the process. Next thing is a very important thing as well, it's we want to reduce phototoxicity. And phototoxicity uh, can be defined as a toxic reaction which is provoked by light. And it's mostly because of photooxidization, also by heat, because of heat. So normally when we expose cells to laser radiation, we can actually kill them just by exposing them to, the, to that radiation. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to affect the experiment. We, we just want to gently observe what is happening there. So uh, phototoxicity depends on several factors. Uh, it's laser light energy. So for example, 
blue, blue light is more energetic than red light. So blue light or UV light is more damaging than red light. Then we have optical power, that's the number of photons per second. The more power we use, the more damage we do. Then duration of exposure and frequency of, of exposure. So uh, to reduce phototoxicity, we want to minimize all those factors. But on the other hand, when we minimize those factors, we actually reduce the image quality. So we have this trade-off between image quality and phototoxicity, and we have to remember about that as well. Uh, this is a schematic diagram of, of our system. We also call it ALISA, which stands for Automated Live Cell Imaging System for Signal Transduction Analysis. But now that I think the scope of application is broader, not only signal transduction. And here, uh, this is a very simplified diagram, but I think it explains well how it works. So in the center, we have process control software that's implemented in VBA, and it controls the hardware of the microscope, which you can see here and it communicates with the image analysis software. And it also contains the description of the biological process. So this actually defines what we are looking for, so what events we are looking for, and what reactions we expect. So uh, on the left-hand side here, we have a typical optical path of, of a confocal microscope. And uh, so we have some lasers here. There's some optical systems, so some mirrors, filters. We have also scanning mirrors, that's important because we can scan the laser in a two-dimensional raster across the sample. So that's how the system works. We scan the laser, uh, a single point really, across the sample in two dimensions, and then we get the, the fluorescent signal back through some filters onto detectors. The detectors could be, in this case, it's mostly photomultiplying tubes, but could, we could use other detectors like uh, photodiodes, for example, as well. And the, the very important thing also to bear in mind is that from confocal microscopy, we get an image of a very thin slice of, this, of the sample. So we don't really have any depth of focus there. We take very thin, it's, it's in the range of several microns or even sub-micron thickness. So if you want to see a bigger picture, then you have to take several slices and then combine them together using software. But the image that we get is very, very sharp. And this is a, a photograph of uh, one of the newest pieces of equipment from Carl Zeiss. And this kind of a microscope is already installed uh, in RCSI, apart from a uh, couple of other uh, confocal microscopes that they have. And this is not the whole thing, actually. There's also controllers, uh, laser modules, etc. So this is what you have on the table. But besides the table, you have much more equipment there. So it's a very sophisticated piece of, piece of imaging equipment. Uh, the first application that we chose for this, uh, for this automation system is detection of apoptosis in HeLa cells. And uh, I'm going to explain those terms now. So apoptosis, you can think of it as a, as a cell suicide. It's a programmed cell death. Uh, it's controlled by some internal and external signals, but it's basically programmed inside the cell, genetically programmed. Uh, in, in contrast to necrosis, which is a traumatic cell death, so which results from acute uh, injury. So basically, if we fry the cell with a laser, that's necrosis then. It's not apoptosis. And apoptosis happens in our bodies all the time. So uh, cells are dying, billions of cells are dying every day in a human body. And new cells are, are appearing. And when this process is disturbed, so cells are not dying for some reason, then we might get a growth of tumor. So apoptosis is very important in, uh, in cancer. And that's why people study it. So uh, we chose a cell line here. The, uh, derived from cervical cancer. The, those cells are called HeLa cells. And uh, the patient died in the 50s in the US. 
but the cells are still in circulation. In fact, there's more cells in circulation than there, was, uh, there were cells in the whole body of that woman. So it's a commercial, commercial cell line, and, and it gives you an idea how these cells are grow. They grow very, very fast, and they are very persistent and difficult really to, to kill. Uh, this cells, now for the imaging, we need some staining, some fluorescent staining. So for the mitochondria here, we stain them with TMRM. <coughs> TMRM is uh, red staining. And in the fluorescent image, it gives us red image of the mitochondria, basically. And those cells are also transfected with uh, FRED constructs. I will explain later what, what this exactly means. But uh, they are basically genetically modified so they can produce fluorescent proteins. And they can produce a construct which com is composed of cyan and y so cyan fluorescent protein and yellow fluorescent protein. And this is to detect caspase activation. So that's the use case. First, we look for the polarization of mitochondria. So we look at the signal from mitochondria, that's the red staining. Then the signal goes down. That's the depolarization of mitochondria. That's the first sign of apoptosis. So we look for that. Now, when this happens, that's our event, then we have our reaction to that event. And the reaction now is scanning thread channels. So we add more channels. We scan from limited region of interest because we scan just that cell, which is dying with increased frequency also. So, uh, so we get much more information at this stage. And, and we couldn't really use this kind of configuration, scan all the channels from the very beginning, because we would fry the cells. So that's the, that's the idea. And this way we prevent apoptosis. So now I'll show you quickly a quick uh, movie which shows you how HeLa cell is dying by apoptosis. So this is HeLa cell. It's all the same cell. The red staining is the, 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 is the mitochondria here. So this, here we have DIC channel and TMRM. This is the FRED channel and this is the CFP channel. And this is the, how the cell is dying now. You can see actually the changes. It's kind of blebbing, then cell shrinkage. Then the red signal actually went off completely. And the cell is basically dead now. So this is from a morphological point of view. This is how it looks like. And of course, this, the speed normally is not as fast as this. This is a fast forward speed. Pardon? How fast forward? This, uh, normally, uh, each image here would be about two minutes away from each other. And in this case, it's about half a second dif difference, something like that. Or even less, less than that. Okay, so now I'll explain this uh, FRET. What is FRET, uh, Forced Resonant Energy Transfer? Why are we using it and what, what is it this, this is? So FRET is a, uh, a close-range, close non-radiative, dipole-dipole interaction. It's called Forster resonant energy transfer, or sometimes uh, fluorescence resonant energy transfer. And the, the, the main thing about this is when we have two fluorophores, or in this case two fluorescent proteins, close to each other, then they can transfer energy between each other non-radiatively, but uh, through a dipole-dipole interaction. So they can, they can basically feel their own electromagnetic fields. The distance between them is in the range of a few nanometers in this case. And this is a link, so it's another protein that actually keeps them together. So uh, what happens here, if we excite this protein, the cyan fluorescent protein, with a, U, with a violet radiation, it doesn't emit directly. It transfers all that energy here. The, the efficiency of this transfer is close to, uh, close to 100%, really, it's around 90% or so. So it's very efficient. And then we get all the emission that we see, we get from this protein. So we know that if we, we excite with this laser line and we get this kind of 
emission that we know that we have thread transfer there. Now, what happens when we break that? When we break this link, then we don't see anymore any emission from IFP because we can see emission directly from, from this protein. There's no energy transfer. And this breakage here, they call it thread probe cleavage, happens when we have activation of caspases. And the caspases are proteins that are present in, uh, are activated when we have apoptosis in the system. So we know if we have this thread probe cleavage, then it means we have activated caspases and uh, the cell is dying by apoptosis. So that's what we are looking for. Uh, this is a schematic flow, flow diagram of, of this use case. So uh, it, it looks more or less like this, it goes like this. First we start the system, we uh, apply some initial settings, we segment the cells, so we basically uh, mark, so the system knows where each cell is in the image and which cells are interesting for us. And then we have uh, baselines calculated for the signals. And after that, we look for those TMRM thresholds. So we look for the polarization of mitochondria. That's the first sign of apoptosis. And at the same time, we track the cells. So, and for that, we use just two channels, the IC and TMRM. This is very gentle configuration. So we don't really affect the cells. We just observe very gently what is happening there. Then when a threshold is detected for one cell, then the system reacts to that. So we focus on that cell. We limit the scanning area increase the scanning frequency and add more channels. So here in addition to the ACTMRM, we have also YFP, FRET and CFP. So we look at the FRET channels as well. And after that, when this cell, this ap uh, apoptosis for this cell is completed, we go back here and look for thresholds from other cells. And this is repeated, goes on like this until all cells in the sample are processed. And then the system just stops automatically. Uh, this is a bit more detailed explanation about the channels. So uh, the channel in general is a, is a combination of the excitation light and the spectrum in which we detect the, the emission. So these channels we use for detection of the, the polarization of mitochondria, so for detection of the event basically. This is very, very gentle configuration. We have only two channels active. We don't have any information from channel three, four, five. Channel one is DIC, this, this is a differential interference contrast and it's basically taken from absorption of uh, Heaney laser at 543. So we, we use one laser actually for those two channels. This is the absorption and this is the emission from that laser. And if we, when we look for FRET channels, then apart from these two, we have also YFP, FRET and CFP. Th these colors are actually artificial colors. So uh, FRET, this is not really a green emission. What happens if we excite CFP and we detect YFP? So it's just an artificial color just to make it different from this. Because normally the color would be actually the same as here. And for that we use argon. Argon uh, laser we use for directly for YFP emission. And we use gallium nitride, the violet line, for uh, FRET and, from CFP, and for CFP. So these, these lasers, especially this Violet laser is quite energetic and uh, it does a lot of damage if you use it for too long on the cell. If you scan too frequently and if you expose too much. So when we are focused on a single cell, we know that a single cell is dying, then we just use it like that. So we only scan from that cell and the other cells are protected. Uh, they just sit in darkness. So we get uh, and we keep scanning like this with higher frequency. 
just for a single cell until this cell is dead. And then when that happens, then we go back to the whole field of view and we look for events from other cells. So uh, this, this image on the left-hand side, this is a, a whole field of view with HeLa cells. Uh, it's, a, it's an overlaid image of DIC and TMRM channels. So TMRM is the red fluorescence for, my, for mitochondria. And this is just before this cell, this particular cell reported threshold. So the TMRM for this cell went down like this. And then the system reacted by focusing on that cell only. And yet, so here in addition to, to this image, we have also uh, IFP, FRED and CFP for that cell only. And we scan also with higher frequency. So uh, previous, uh, this, for this kind of image, we scan every 45 seconds in this case. And then after we focus, we scan every 15 seconds. I think the maximum scanning frequency in this case would be about every five seconds or so. So it's not massively high speed, but, but those processes are slow anyway. So you don't really need any sub-second uh, frequencies. Florian? Can I ask you a question? How do you delimit the area? So basically you mean once the threshold is detected, you zoom in on an area. Yes. How do you delimit it? Is it some optical Yes, this is, well? this is a computer controlled scanning. So basically you can, you can define when at which point exactly the laser is on and which, when at which point it is off. And in this way, you can actually not only get a square area, but you can get polygon of any shape, really. Right. It's just well, software control. Does the computer automatically decide where to zoom in, or do you have to manually? The, no, the image analysis software decides that. So the image analysis analyzes the image, then sends that information, so all the coordinates to the process control software, and the process control software then executes that on the microscope. Another question? Sorry, can you do, um, when you, if you detect multiple thresholds of multiple cells at similar times, can you do, say, if apoptosis begins in one cell over here before it's finished, another one is started, can you do both at the same time as can be collected? No, what happens is that the system uh, prioritizes between cells. So it basically chooses the cell that is still uh, at, at more at the beginning of the process so more uh, upstream than downstream, and then you focus on that cell, and the other cell is discarded, because it's impossible to actually, in this, in this, possible, uh, in this setup, it's impossible to look at uh, apoptosis from two cells uh, without sacrificing really the, the resolution. Right. Okay. This is how we, uh, because when we take a, uh, an experimental run from a whole field of view, we have usually, I mean, for HeLa cells, we, we have between, say, 10 and 20 cells in the field of view. In this case, we had 14 cells, and this is how the TMRM uh, traces look for them. So what happens here, uh, we use, at the beginning of the experiment, we use stimulus, STS. It's a, it's a kind of antibiotic that uh, initiates apoptosis. So what happens is, first, we have this hyperpolarization, so the signal goes up for all, all cells, and then we, the system looks for thresholds. So, at this point, one of the cells started dying. And the system detected that and then kept scanning just from that cell. And the other cells were forgotten for that time, so they were blanked, basically. And then this cell was discarded from analysis, so it's not tracked anymore, this cell. Then the system goes back to scanning the remaining cells and again, have another event. And another and another and another. So, uh, so this is more or less how, how it looks. And at the end of the experiment, all cells are discarded, and the system just stops. Uh, this also shows you uh, an advantage of using the, using the, the automation to get more, uh, 
spatial resolution, a more temporal resolution of, of data from, from apoptosis. So here this plot, the red plot, is for a TMRM again, so we look for threshold in TMRM. And after we get that threshold, so at this point, then the system noticed that the, we, we started apoptosis and it started scanning uh, thread channels with higher frequency. And normally biologists, when they uh, do this kind of experiments, they get only one or two points on the slope. And then they just fit it with a sigmoidal curve and are quite happy about this. But uh, from this, you can see that it's not exactly sigmoidal curve. The slope is, is not uniform. At first, it, the, the, it goes a little bit faster and then it slows down. So we looked at what, what happens there and we found that there's different kinetics of caspase activation in uh, the cytosol and different in the nucleus of the cell. And, and we, we could only resolve that because we use this automation system. If we tried to use this kind of scanning frequency on all channels from the beginning, then the cells would be dead within maybe the first half an hour or so. So, uh, so that's uh, what we gain. We, gain. we have much lower phototoxicity. We have uh, high temporal spatial resolution, but only when necessary, so we don't generate useless data. And uh, we minimize direct user involvement. In the, so uh, the user can set up the system, press the start button, and then go and do something else. So it saves time as well. That's the graphical user interface. I don't want to go into detail too much, but this is for the process control software. This is for the image analysis software. I suppose the most interesting thing is that we have the cells here with the masks on them, and the time series are shown here. We can choose which channel we want to look at, and we can choose what uh, means of evaluation we want to look at. So we can look at uh, average intensity, integrated intensity, uh, cell area, standard deviation, etc. Okay, the next application, it's a bit more complex application, it's neurons. Uh, and we look at apoptosis here as well in neurons. Uh, these are CGNs, they, they are also transfected with red constructs, but they are cleavable by calpain in this case, with just another kind of protein that cleaves other proteins, so another kind of prothesis. And we expose it to TMRM also to stain the mitochondria. So, and we use different stimulus, of course. So, so the use case, it starts very, in a very similar way. We look for threshold in TMRM first, then we have cell focus, we scan the thread channels, but after that we take a 3D scan because neurons have this quite complex and sophisticated morphology in three dimensions, so it's quite interesting to look at it and compare it how it looked like before we started the experiment. Then what we do, we photobleach the acceptor. So in the thread construct, if you remember, there was this CFP and YFP, and they transferred energy between each other. So CFP was the donor and YFP was the acceptor. If we photobleach the acceptor, then there is no threat signal. That's quite clear. So, so we know that if we photobleach it completely, there will be no signal here. So if we compare this level of threat with this level of threat, then we know uh, about the calpain activities because this is the difference will be proportion proportional to the amount of the threat probe cleavage. Now you probably wonder where we take the samples from. So this cartoon is to explain this. And uh, from this cartoon, apparently, it seems that some of those animals might be aware of what's going to happen to them, which can be a bit disturbing. But uh, uh, luckily, I don't have to deal exactly uh, directly with those cute little lab rats. 
Uh, the samples are already prepared for me and already waiting under the microscope, so, so I don't have to do that. Uh, so these samples are more precious in a way that, that they come actually from live animals. And they have, the, the animals have to be sacrificed, the samples have to be harvested and prepared. So, uh, so we want to use them as much as possible, I mean every sample, we want to use every sample and get as much information as possible from a single sample. We don't want to waste them, that's for sure. And it takes a lot of skills really to, to prepare the, the samples. And the transfection rate is quite low as well. So, uh, so it means that we need really, we need to increase the throughput of the experiments. So we have to do, we have to scan multiple fields of view in a single experiment, because one is not enough. And I was uh, also saying about transfection rate, the transfection doesn't actually occur for each of the cells. So if you see, if you look here, there's plenty of neurons in each of those images, but only very few of them express yellow fluorescence. So that's the transfection rate. Usually we are lucky if you get three transfected neurons within one field of view. Uh, it was much better for HeLa cells, so this is much more problematic here. So the main challenge is here, uh, the samples are much more difficult to, to obtain. Uh, the system architecture is more complex because we have to handle uh, more fields of view, so there's also a larger amount of data which has to be processed and analyzed in real time. And we need much more processing power, uh, which takes uh, 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 computer resources, and so we need to allocate those resources much more carefully. Uh, the system architecture is, uh, I mean, in this picture it's quite simple, but uh, process control software actually has to be much clever now because it has to handle events from all those uh, fields of view, and each field of view has its own image analysis software. So, so really we need parallel, parallel processing in this case, and this will be explained here. So after we scan one field of view, then the image analysis software starts processing that image. Then if we scan with a fairly high frequency and if the image is fairly complex, then it may take quite long to process that and we have to uh, actually start scanning the next field of view before we finish processing of the first one. So it may happen that we have parallel processing from two, three or even four fields of view. And in this case it's up to four because with the, the computer that's currently connected to the microscope it has four processor cores. So we can do it far, quite, uh, quite easily. But in principle this could be extended to Really, it's only hardware limited in this case, so it could be extended to as many as we like. And then we look for events only when all fields of view are, proce all fields of view are processed. So at this point, we look for thresholds. And when you get the threshold, it's not only the cell number, but also number of field of view. So we focus on a field of view and a cell, and then again do a similar thing that we did before, limit the scanning area, increase the scanning frequency, and add more channels. Okay. This is how we segment the cells, so we don't really segment the whole neuron, we don't care really about the dendrites, we just segment the cell body. Yeah, so uh, so we, on, only, we are only interested in those neurons which express YFP fluorescence, so this one, this one, and this one in this case. And this is how the mask looks, looks like. And that's the typical scanning sequence. So we scan the DAC and TMRM most of the time, but from time to time we switch on YFP, just to update the mask. We don't want to scan YFP all the time because we don't want to fry the cells. And then when an event happens, then the system will focus just on the cell body here. So we scan thread channels just from the, from the cell body. Then we take a Z-stack, 
like slices from, from the bottom towards the top. Then we photo bleach YFP. And after that, we scan again from the whole field of view and look for events from the remaining cells. And this is done for all fields of view that we initially choose. And what kind of results we get from here? Uh, we would expect to see uh, thread probe cleavage after we, uh, we have the polarization of mitochondria. So this is the MRM. Clearly, it goes down, so mitochondria depolarize. But the thread signal doesn't really go down. It's more or less constant within some noise. Then we take the Z-stack. Then we photobleach the acceptor, so YFP. And we take some reference scans. So we didn't get what we expected in this case. We didn't get thread probe cleavage. So we can't, can't really say that that, that was uh, apoptosis. Another example, again, we get clear drop in the TMRM signal. And then we get, uh, we get actually decrease in the thread signal, but it's quite slow. And we can't really conclude anything from this. I mean, it seems that there, there might be some, some level of, of uh, calpine activation, but it's really hard to tell by this kind of result. Then we take Z-stack again, photo bleaching, and reference scans. This is quite interesting. The, the, the signal for reference scans here goes up a little bit. What happens here is uh, we photo bleach just from the cell body. So we don't photo bleach from the dendrites. right? So when we stop photo bleaching, some amount of thread probe can actually diffuse from the dendrites. And that's why we get this jump here. It's, it's not a massive jump, but you can, actually, you can resolve it quite clearly. So uh, from this, from this uh, plot, we can see actually that apparently there is some calpine activation, or there is thread probe cleavage. We don't really know if it's by, because of calpine activation, but there is. But it happens quite well after, after this event. So in this case, more than one hour. So, uh, so it's not really clear if those two events are uh, related to each other. We don't really know that at the moment. And this is what actually stops us from, from publishing this work, because we can't really explain exactly the, the biological meaning here and what's, what's going on there from a biological point of view. But uh, despite the fact that we didn't really get conclusive results on apoptosis, we got some quite nice uh, three-dimensional scans from the neurons. So uh, here on the left-hand side at the bottom, we have the sample or one field of view uh, at the beginning of the experiment. It's indicated here with this yellow arrow. So we took it just one minute after start of the experiment. And on the right hand side, this was taken, it's over nine hours after the beginning of the experiment here, when we uh, stopped scanning the thread channels. So, uh, and this event was reported by this cell. And you can see on the left hand side here, it looks quite good. It's a, it's a, it's a healthy neuron. But on the right-hand side, it's already dead. It's heavily fragmented. The, the, the cell body is actually swollen, and it has this circular cell shape, which would suggest that there's no membrane, just kept together by a surface tension. And the dendrites are already heavily fragmented here. Now, another example. Here, it's even more pronounced. The traces look a bit better as well. So. Uh, here we see this event, and after scanning the thread probe, this, this particular neuron reported threshold. And we have the Z-stack scan on the right-hand side, at this point, and you can see that the neuron nearly completely disappeared. So we can't really locate it here. So it's definitely dead. There's no question about that. And another example, 
This is a very good looking neuron on the, re on the left hand side. And uh, so it's very nice, actually, nice structure. But on the right hand side, it's clearly just blebs of fluorescence. And it's only after three hours and 50 minutes. So, uh, so in this case, it's nearly certain that it's, it's necrosis. And we notice that if we choose at the beginning of the experiment, we choose very good looking neuron with nice expression level, then this neuron is already stressed just from, from the transfection and from the fact that it absorbs more energy and it emits more energy than other neurons. So it's sometimes it's actually better to choose a neuron which is uh, less, less uh, which has lower expression level, so that the image is not that good, but then it gives us more meaningful biological results. Because this one was already stressed just from, from the transfection. And, and uh, the interesting thing also, if you look at this image on the right-hand side, you will see that this head, this uh, body is kind of chopped in the middle. So it's probably swollen much more than you can, we can see here, but simply the, the, the microscope didn't take enough Z-stacks, didn't take enough scans in Z-direction to, to image the whole thing here. Okay, to conclude, uh, so we have a working prototype of the system. It works, it's installed at the moment on three microscopes. All of them are confocal microscope from uh, manufactured by Carl Zeiss. Uh, we tested it with two applications. The first one was HeLa cells, which are cervical cancer cells. And that was a very successful application. Uh, we got uh, very nice results and we already published that in Biotechnics. In this way, in December last year. With neurons, we got inconclusive results. So this is what stops us from publishing, really. But, uh, but we got very nice images of neurons that you could see. Uh, we filed a patent. Uh, there was uh, two patent applications so far. Last year, March, it was in Ireland. And this year, uh, we filed an expanded version in the US. And uh, we intend to commercialize this work. So we signed a confidential disclosure agreement with uh, Carl Zeiss. And we got a letter of support from them. Then we applied for Enterprise Island Commercialization Fund. But luckily, uh, actually, uh, yesterday I found out that we were not successful with that grant. So, uh, so I don't really know what's going to happen with this project uh, next year. We'll see. Uh, in the future, I mean, the plan was to develop this system towards applications in high content screening because this, this market is the biggest. So we were uh, really thinking about broadening the scope of application and about commercializing this work. So uh, at the end, I just want to acknowledge another, other people which uh, contributed to this work. And thank you very much for your attention. So actually, Jakob, I have a question regarding the, the first application of the, the HeLa cells. Um, when actually uh, there is a TMRM threshold detected mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the, the apoptosis is uh, started, then you focus on that cell mm -hmm. which switch on all the, all the lasers. Um, so how do you know that for how long you can keep all the lasers on before you actually photoblitz a cell, that cell? Of interest. For, so, what is actually what defines that interval that we can actually leave mm -hmm. all the layers on 
focusing on one cell that is undergoing apoptosis. So in order not to trigger necrosis mm. as a parallel uh, right. action. I mean, when we, um, when we just look for the thresholds and in the beginning, when you just use one laser, then it's quite, quite simple because we do a kind of test run and in the test run, we just keep scanning the, the, the same DIC and TMRM all the time and we, we look if we have any cell deaths caused by the scanning. So that's quite clear. But when we are focused on a single cell already, then uh, I think we can only probably find out by looking at uh, how the traces behave and I think and how the cell is behaving. So and I can't really tell, you know, by looking at the cell if it's dying by necrosis of apoptosis or if we trigger necrosis. Uh, but biologists, I believe, can do that. And, uh, and biologists actually, uh, they, they, because they are experiencing this kind of exper experiments, they know more or less how much uh, energy those cell, cells are able to withstand before they, they die. So for this, when we focus on a given cell in that case, we keep scanning for 12 minutes. And biologists know that with the, the cell, if it's started apoptosis, is going to die within 12 minutes. So there's no point to keep scanning afterwards. Uh, and there's probably no point in looking for events because initially the use case was slightly different. We were looking for secondary necrosis, so we were looking at YFP channels as well and for thresholds from YFP, but it never happened. So, so cells were always dying by apoptosis. It was clear from the traces and from the images. Yeah, but it's a, it's a reasonable question, I think, actually. Any other questions? No? Okay. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you.